Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie-related show on the planet Earth, the John Campia Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff. And ladies and gentlemen, he may have been missing yesterday, sucked into the black void. He actually went into space with William Shatner, little known fact, but he is back down earthbound today. The one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how are you doing today, sir? John, it's a great day. Good Canadian kid goes to space. It'll be a day that lives in history. It'll be a day long remembered as William Shatner went into space. We actually, you and I got a text from a buddy of ours this morning saying, you know, hearing William Shatner talk about going to space, put tears in his eyes. I think mm-hmm. that did uh, for a lot of people. And guys, it almost puts tears in my eyes. How's this for a segue? It almost puts tears in my eyes that you guys choose to spend a part of your day here with us. And we do have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about here today, guys. Uh, first of all, here's how today's show is going to go. We break it into two parts. In the first half of the show, we talk about some predetermined topics. In the second half of the show, we take your live comments and questions. If you'd like to send in a live comment or question to be read on a show or an upcoming companion video, simply go down into the description. You'll see a tip link. Click on that there, or you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movie blog tv slash tip you'll begin your comment or question read on a show of course if it's appropriate for our show and of course you'll be supporting the channel at the same time and all of us here involved at the show thank you guys so much for that support also want to remind you guys if you need your daily fix of the john campia show but you're not in front of a youtube channel to do it good news there is an audio only version that we call the john campia show podcast It's on all your favorite podcasting spots. Whatever your podcasting app of choice is, just go there, search for the John Campia Show podcast, subscribe to it. We even put some stuff up on there that's not on the YouTube channel. So go and subscribe to the channel so it is there when you need it. All right, guys. Listen, before we get into our main topics here today, there are a couple things for us to talk about off the top. And one extremely important one, and that is this. Rob, you'll remember that we spoke uh, a couple weeks ago about the fact that the biggest union in Hollywood, the IATSE, held a vote to authorize their president to take the union on strike. And Rob, you and I talked about the fact that, make no mistake about it, don't underestimate what this is. This is Armageddon. If this strike happens, we, we talked about, then everything shuts down. Every movie show and TV show, every movie and TV show you can think of gets ground to a halt. Now, I expressed some optimism at the time, Rob, reminding people, say, hey, look, they just voted to authorize the strike. They had to put the producers uh, guild's feet to the fire. They had to show them they're serious. I believe a deal's going to get done. I, I think it's it's going to happen. I think they understand nobody wants a strike. I mean, so this, something's going to happen. Well, the temperature just got cranked up a bunch, Rob, because there is a report this morning in Variety that is now letting us know that uh, IATSE or the IATSE has set Monday, this coming Monday, as their strike date if a new deal with the producers has not been reached. I want to read a little bit of this for you guys. Uh, this comes to us again from Variety that writes, Negotiations to prevent a strike that could bring the film and television production business to its knees are going down to the wire. Matthew Loeb, president of the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, said early Wednesday that unless an agreement is reached, 60,000 union members 
will begin a nationwide strike against the major studios on October 18th at 12.01 a.m. Such a work stoppage would be catastrophic, halting production across the U.S. Union members are demanding better hours and working conditions, saying that the surge in production over the past decade has led to long hours and dangerous situations on set. And Rob, you and I spoke about this when they were voting about whether or not to authorize the strike. And it's something that a lot of people, I think average film fans, take for granted, that for these movies to get made, while the stars of the movie spend half the days in their luxury trailers, sipping Zevia and uh, having their manicures done, whatever, there are hundreds of people on sets that are working for 12, 14, 16, 18 hours to get these things done. And they're not being compensated fairly, and their well-being is not being taken into consideration when talking about how long those hours are. And it looks like now they finally set a date. Say, look, you got to know we're serious. They set a date for Monday. Rob, you heard this morning that they've set this date for Monday. Were you surprised that they've now drawn a line in the sand and set it for Monday? And how's your optimism about whether or not they can actually get to a deal before that Monday deadline? Well, I think this strike, I mean, as you know, I've been on both sides of this uh, this line. And the fact is, this had to change. Um, people just simply can't do the kind of focused, intense work crews for 12 hours or 14 hours or 16 hour days. So this had to change. We have to adopt a more European model. They call it French hours, maybe not quite French hours, but things have to change because um, it's just, it's just not right anymore. And the reason that the producers are apprehensive about this is because when you're working 10 hours instead of, say, 12 hours, you're adding days to the schedule every week. And I understand that. It affects your budgets. It affects your bottom line. But we have to figure out how to work shorter and more efficiently uh, in order to protect the health and welfare of people that are toiling very, very hard to make the studios a lot of money through great product that becomes even more important during uh, the, the new streaming era. And so I think this, this is not a, a all you have is the leverage you, 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 you have to negotiate. And IATSE has leverage. And they had an overwhelming vote to call a strike. And that is something that's a very powerful tool in order to affect change. And I think it's something that needs to happen. And for them to draw a line in the sand proves they're serious. It proves that, look, you can't push us around. We have to make a deal. And uh, it's up to you. It's in your court. We're, we, we've told you what we want. We've told you what we're going to do. And we're going to do it. And it's up to you to come back to us and address our concerns. And these are concerns, John, that have been around for years, decades. And it's time for a change. And... Um, I I am not necessarily optimistic that they're going to negotiate their differences uh, before Monday. They really haven't, as far as I understand, they haven't really addressed any of these concerns during these negotiations. So I think it's going to happen. You know, Rob, uh, as as much as I as an outsider can sit down and look at this situation and, and say, wow, I mean, yeah, look at these working conditions and all this kind of stuff. I thought it would be beneficial for you and I and for the audience at the John Campus Show if we heard from somebody who's actually in there. Now, uh, I want to introduce somebody to you here, guys. First of all, you guys, many of you guys may have seen this before. That is my pride and joy right there. That table 
That table right there, that is my pride and joy. That is a 65-inch display TV inside of a table wired with iPad, iPhone, and Android power cables that run throughout it. Uh, And our game masters, whether you're playing poker or role-playing game like Dungeons & Dragons here, they can bring up their maps on the screen underneath the glass. It's amazing. And that table, the reason I mention it, was designed by a friend of mine who is actually a production designer with the union who has over 30 films to his credit, 30 projects to his credit. I want to introduce you guys to a buddy of mine, the designer of that fantastic table and a member of the union here to give us a little bit more insight into the situation. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend, Spencer Brennan. Spencer, thanks for joining us here today, man. I really appreciate it. Hi, John. Hi, Rob. Thanks so much for the intro, John. I really appreciate it. I mean, the, the table, it touches my heart. I, uh, good memories on that all around. More to come. More to yes, come. Yeah, obviously, thanks, thanks so much. Obviously, our role-playing kind of took a hit when the uh, when the pandemic hit, but we'll get back to that very soon. We adapt. We adapt, yeah. Oh, and hello to your viewers, too. Thanks, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to listen. Well, Spencer, listen, we, we are looking at this situation from the outside looking in. Can you kind of summarize for us? And by the way, I should mention, not only is Spencer part of the union, uh, his wife, our friend Lara, is also in the union as well. So you are a union household. Can you kind of help explain to myself um, and, and our viewers and stuff like that, what is it that the IATSE is really trying to accomplish right now? What's going on with this situation? For me, I like try to wrap the situation around, you know, one word for me is sustainability. Um, I think it's important to our culture outside of media, but um, over the years, the work situation on sets has, I like to say, it's eroded the quality of life um, for the workers and it's breached its reached overreached it's we're at a threshold moment now where it's it's unsustainable for us the um and what we're what we're asking for the sticking points uh for for everyone to understand is reasonable rest reasonable rest meal periods and breaks it's 2021 we're asking we're talking about meal periods and breaks (laughs) a living wage for folks um i know this is an issue outside of hollywood as well so living wage Sustainable benefits, to come back to that word. Not so new media is one of our taglines. So uh, there's a there's a contractual situation around streaming, which is when some when people hear when you hear new media or we say not so new media, effectively that's just crosstalk for streaming, uh, streaming platforms. Um, and lastly, uh, we want to address diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Um, unfortunately, uh, as, as we all know, at this point, um, there hasn't been an agreement reached on these things, but you know, the the sustainability aspect, um, is like, it's on a set, on a project, on a film, a TV, a, a TV show, commercial, et cetera. Um, it can get like the situation can get very acute time wise. It's like, it's about this shot. We need to get this shot or this. And it, and it can be really down to the seconds, the minutes, the end of the day. And productions can, you know, uh, choose to spend the money or take the short-term hit or do what it takes to get that done. As a union, we, we know how to work hard. We've, <laughs> the, the IOTC laborers, uh, we wouldn't be in the position of what we are right now. We wouldn't be a labor union. We wouldn't have been making films and media for 
close to a century, if not more now, uh, without knowing how to work hard and how to, how to make the product. Well, you know, we're experts on, on doing that. And, um, what ends up happening a lot of times is that the workforce, uh, carries the long-term burden of production's short-term, uh, decisions. Right. You know, uh, so they'll more than happy to pay more for people to stay an extra hour to get the shot done. But when one of those people who was on, you know, on it's the sixth day of the week and they're clocking 70 change hours and they're like, okay, great. We got the shot. And then they crash on the way home. Those are real stories. That is something that really happens. And there's a nice hashtag moment that, that moves around the industry, but it doesn't, those things for me, they don't get addressed as a whole from the employers, from the producers and on the top of the ticket, we're talking like reasonable rest. Can, can, it's let's, eroding. Let's, let's uh, make this practical with people. Can you give us an example? Cause you've worked on a lot of productions. So <laughs> I've some grinds. Yeah. Can, oh, by the way, uh, Spencer was also the, uh, the art director for a little show I produced called awesome tacular with Jeremy Johns. That was up on the Verizon network. For, so, and he was our, our production guy, but that was a really fun set. That was, that was a, a fun, really fun set, set, wasn't it? Uh, but yeah, but can you give us an example just to make it practical for people? Mm-hmm. Maybe one of the experiences that you either had or witnessed on set that was like really pushing the limits of what people should be able to handle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pardon me while I just try to gather there's, there's, yeah, there's you don't have so to many names. You don't have to yeah, drop no, names, no, no specific names. I mean, for me, um, and I'll, I'll see if I can kind of conglomerate this with a few other, but, but specifically like, uh, I think the re the rest periods, uh, meal breaks and living with, and, uh, those are the kind of things that happen very often on, on a set and they've happened to me. So those will be, um, commonly referred to, uh, around issues with turnaround, which basically means, hey, we went over today. So this will happen. This happens a lot. It's okay. We start on Monday. Um, we start on Monday, 6 a.m., bright and early, everybody. This is a very common week and it's happened to me and it's all over. And then you do like a 12, 14, and there's a little bit of pushback. So, but you got to give everybody eight hours or so or or whatnot, you know, to turn now, around. When you say, yeah, when you say eight day. hours, you mean eight hours between when you finish the sh- a 14 hour shift to when yeah. they expect you to be back on set to start yeah. shooting again. That is that is correct right there. So you work a long day that started early and there were some hiccups and you had to get that shot done because uh, actor A, he's got to go to Hawaii tomorrow. You know, he's con- he's only gonna, he's only available on Monday. So we got to get all his shots or her shots or who and you do so. And it pushes the schedule back. And then so now Tuesday starts at eight o'clock because of the way that the call times and needs to be scheduled and so forth and so forth. Those issues can stack and then you end up on a Friday and Fridays are no longer Fridays. Fridays are now can be referred to as a fratter day. Oh, Friday, <laughs> Fratter day, <laughs> Fratter days is, is a term that we're using. Yeah. It's a, it's an issue. Fratter days is common. And I think this is a good issue to talk about because it covers a lot of um, what we're asking for is 
okay, uh, Friday's been pushed back. We're calling it now uh, at work at 2 p.m. And then 12 hours plus 2 p.m. puts you now into Saturday. And it's the last day of the week. So there's probably some push and some crunch. And again, maybe there's some scheduling conflict. And you don't get home until 6 a.m. on Saturday. And this is a a regular thing. Yeah, no, oh, this is this is a regular thing so much so that we have the term Friday now. So typically if, you know, maybe some of your audience can can understand Friday night is supposed to be a good night. Friday night's supposed to be the end of the week, right? You know, like <laughs> hey, it's Friday, TGIF. Let's go home, like, you know, I've got the weekend ahead of me. That doesn't exist for a lot of folks in entertainment. Tell me if this Friday, is Tell me if this is normal. I was, I was on set. I now I want to make sure I say the right movie because it might not be. I think I remember it being the Rain Wilson movie called The Rocker. I don't know if you guys remember that movie, but I I got to be on set for that, and and might have been another movie. So people involved with The Rocker, if I'm wrong about this, forgive me. But and I remember I showed up at 7 a.m. one morning because I was going to be an extra in a scene, and I remember talking to some people like some guys are just dragging their asses around. And, and I was like, wow, everybody looks like super tired. Are they not used to getting to work this early? And somebody told me, oh, we didn't strike the shoot till 2 a.m. last night. So they were shooting from like 6 a.m. to 2, from 6 a.m. one morning to 2 a.m. Then they broke and then they were back on set like five hours later. And I'm like, yeah. I, I was like, seriously, how do you function like that? Like, I can't function like that. But they said, yeah, this isn't completely unusual. Is that not completely unusual? Not surprising at all. Like doesn't even raise my eyebrow. Like, I, yeah, those those scenarios and, you know, like there's similarities and there's a few adjustments based on time, schedules, contract. But yeah, no, exactly that. And the weekend is is just the larger chunk of it if it's an overnight from a wednesday to a thursday great you got six hours to get home sleep Uh, sleep shower the other s (laughs) shower oh yeah yeah well eat also that's you know sometimes you don't want to eat i mean that there's food on set you can show up a lot of times 30 minutes early 40 minutes early and there's a breakfast you know a courtesy breakfast a lot of times um, however that you know, people want to call it that. Um, and you know, I can roll that into meal breaks too, because typically it's a six hour chunk of work followed by 30 to 45 minutes to an hour of off time. And, you know, it used to be that, uh, a story I'll repeat from the president of our guild. He said, when I started working, it was lunchtime. You went, you had lunch, work was off. You could, you know, like the set is off. It's down, the lights are off. You know, like let's have lunch, recuperate, get some calories in us, take a breath and come back and then we'll do another six hour chunk and then we'll call it the end of the day. Um, Or we'll call another break and we'll order in some lousy pizza or um, to-go meals that constitute a second meal to satisfy a meal after every six hour chunk of work. Um, and, but yeah, like you go home and you, you barely have enough time to do this, the common human necessities. And, uh, and then you get a weekend and you have one day, maybe less, you know, cumulatively, maybe a weekend a day. that starts at 6am on Saturday. <laughs> 
Oh, well, <laughs> if you're lucky. without you having slept. So right, if you get home at 6 a.m. Saturday, when you're going to sleep, are you going to sleep a whole day? Right. You know, are you going to sleep eight hours from six to two in the middle of a Saturday? Or is your family going to say, we're going to have lunch. Can you join us? So you get two or three hours, maybe do some laundry. Maybe you get one good night of rest between Saturday and Sunday. And then you've got to go to sleep early on Sunday to, you know, so think about it in terms of your body's like refresh cycle. You're constantly moving your eight hours of sleep like back and shorter and back and shorter and back and shorter. So not only is the hours that you're working and the hours that you're sleeping, but your your own like sleep regeneration cycle is consistently disrupted. You're not sleeping at the same time every day. You're not sleeping the same amount every day. And those are the things that's, that's part of what I mean by like, I think now there's, there's studies that you can find. I, I'm sorry. I don't have any, I didn't prepare any, but it's like, those are cumulatively destructive to a human being. You know, when you're 70 years old or 60 years old and you know, you're, you're retired. It's like, well, what was your lifestyle? You're like, you like, yeah, I had a really bad, you know, I, I binged my work and I had this and it's those kind of, and, and you're, it's up to you. You're going to, is that an increased risk of heart attack? Is that an increased risk of stroke? That's. And it's one thing, because I think a lot of people hear like, okay, yeah, we've all had weeks like that. We've all had yeah. weeks where it's like, oh man, I was like cramming or I had all this work to do, but this is, this is the norm. This is the, yeah. the normal way you guys are expected to function and process. I, I wanted to throw it over to you, Rob, for a second, because I know, you know, you've had a lot of experiences. See if you had anything you want to throw in there or ask, uh, or ask Spencer. Well, I mean, I, I totally agree with everything that, that he was saying. And I think if you're on a long project, I've been on, on a couple of big movies as a documentarian that have gone on for almost a year of production. And it turns into a real grind. And it is really difficult to keep up with that pace. And, you know, you see weeks in that people's temperaments change and their work changes because it's hard for people to stay focused. And also, you know, I, I understand it from, a, from the other side of it that there's a money issue. Um, the way things are budgeted, nobody, you know, we always want to save money as producers or whatever. But movies are made by people, very talented people that uh, you're never going to replace those people. And I think that, you know, being a, part of being a great producer is to take care of your crew. And really, ultimately, what this is all about is taking care of your crew, which is the first job. That is the 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 that is that is job one of any great producing team is to take care of your crew. And that's really all that IATSE is looking for. I mean, it's not, and, and, and taking care of your crew is paying a living wage, making sure people are compensated for their time and their amazing talent, because the people that are working on these projects, John, they're the best of the best. They're like, they're, they're a, um, they're like a precision military team that has been trained to interact with people of multi-disciplines and they, they know how to anticipate the needs of other different departments. The art department, for instance, has to anticipate what the camera crew needs. Where can the camera crew hang their, their lights in a set? You know, so the training, the on-the-job training that people have, you can't just hire new people and replace them. 
you're talking about a, an elite team of people that are the best of the best and you want them taken care of. Uh, Spencer, thanks a lot for being here today, man. We really appreciate it. But let me ask you one last question before you go. You know, you the, the union has now set a deadline for Monday. Uh, this coming Monday, just days from now. As a member of the union, as somebody who works on productions and stuff like that, where's your feeling at right now? How optimistic or pessimistic do you feel right now that, you know, uh, cooler heads are going to prevail from the producer side and that you guys will be able to get a deal done by Monday? Where where do you think the chances are right now? Personally, speaking speaking from the heart, um, and my, my wife's a you know, she's been working a lot this year, too. So, like I said, we're a union fa- family. Um, I have I don't have faith that that the, the producers will be able to address at this point. I think I at this point, I've gotten the impression that they want to squeeze us, that they want to squeeze us. And my reaction to it is. We are hard workers. We know how to do the squeeze. We we know the grind, and and we know how to buckle down and get it done. And in this sense, in this instance, it's not we're not buckling down and getting those project their shots done. We will will do that. But what we what's the priority now to get done is to take care of our people, is to take care of each other, and meaningfully influence um the business so that it it properly supports the people that support it um so i don't think i think there will be a strike i think it's going to happen and uh i think it's going to be i I think there's going to be some headbutting on there i don't think i think cooler heads will prevail but i still think that that actually will result in a strike i don't know how that that kind of goes in there but i don't I don't have faith that they're going to sweep in at the, that producers are going to sweep in and fold at the last minute. I think they're, I feel like big money's going to squeeze us. And, uh, that's my, that's my thoughts. All right, man. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed, uh, for everything. Hey, Spencer, thanks so much for bringing, coming here and bringing your perspective to this, a perspective none of us have, but listen, if anybody wants to follow you on social media, where can people follow, find you and follow you on social media? Uh, I am uh, known social media wise as at Spencer Achilles. Um, <laughs> I don't have a huge profile. Excuse me for that. Um, <laughs> but uh, my wife is known as the stills ninja. She's much more active um, and uh, stills ninja or Lara Solanke. Um, she's a member of union 600. Um, and one of the most gifted, impressive- talented photographers i've ever seen uh in my life and she's a dear friend of ann's as well so anyway spence thanks for being here man and uh we will thanks have so you, much john we'll thanks, have you Rob. guys over soon have a good one man thanks to the audience thanks cheers everybody here. ladies and gentlemen that is spencer brennan a member of the union a great production designer a guy who made my table uh, as a matter of fact and uh, thanks to spencer for bringing some perspective here for us guys question is for you What do you think about this? It looks like Monday is the deadline. Do you think a deal can get done by then? If not, do you think it is Hollywood Armageddon? The whole industry shuts down. How are you guys feeling about this? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, we've got what we're not. We're we're almost half hour in, Rob. We haven't even got to the second off the top. Okay, so with that (laughs) down, let's move into a second off the top. And that is this. 
You know, guys, you guys know that I was at uh, CinemaCon about a month ago in Las Vegas, and they showed us a whole ton of stuff uh, of all the movies coming out. And one of the things that they showed us that I wasn't really aware of was this new Ethan Hawke horror movie uh, called The Black Phone. And while we were there, they showed us a trailer for it. And I think uh, Aaron and I spoke about it briefly, but it is a, it was, we really liked it. We really liked the trailer a lot. And we love the look of Ethan Hawke. And we said, we can't wait for them to release it. Well, that has now happened. They have released the trailer, the trailer to Ethan Hawke's new film. Again, The Black Phone. Um, I think it looks so good. Now, I will say this. I think the trailer gives away a little bit too much. I yeah. think they, they show a bit too much of it. But but that aside, that aside that I think the trailer gives too much, it makes this movie look great. This movie looks great to me. I, I was, I first of all, I think Ethan Hawke as a villain is fantastic. I thought the kid in it was great. This whole idea, notion of a kid being held in this room with a completely, with an old disconnected phone and all of a sudden the phone starts ringing. I thought it was great. Rob, you had a chance finally to see this trailer for Black Phone. What did you think of it, and what are your expectations for the movie? Well, you know this this uh, this uh, the group. I mean, they made Sinister, right? And they're reteaming for this one. I, I got to tell you, dude, that's the I'd director of Doctor Strange, Scott yeah, Derrickson. Yeah, Scott Derrickson. And I had read, um, uh, I don't know, I read some article about people had seen this at a screening and talked about how scary it looked. I thought the trailer was pretty great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they probably revealed too much information, but. Uh, let me tell you, Ethan Hawke looks like he's having a good time. And um, I, I, this, this, I'm here for this movie. Uh, it looks diabolical. It looks scary. And that's what we want from horror films. So I was like, yeah, bro, bring that on. You know, it's funny. At I don't want to wait till February, though. At CinemaCon, uh, Handsome Hawk, Ethan Hawk, uh, he actually spoke about this. And he said, you know, I, I normally I don't do villains. But when, you know, if Derrickson wants me to do a villain, I'll do a villain. And I think he looks great in this. I'm very excited for it. Question is for you guys. Have you had a chance to see this trailer for the black phone? You know what they should have done, Rob? They should have just had the phone ring and him, like, just the phone ringing after you know that phone is supposed to be complete. There's no wires attached to it. And he hears a voice. They should have ended it at that. They shouldn't have showed us all the kids. But still, I think this movie looks great. What do you guys think about the looks of it? Jump down into the comment section below. And let us know your thoughts. And uh, by the way, guys, I just want to give a quick shout out. A couple of people have been sending in super chat badges and live chat to support us. Stefan Dylan Wouter sends one in. Thank you so much. Our friend Marie Seifring sends in one. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. All right. With that stuff down, guys, let's move on to our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics on the John Campia show? It's easy. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic, issue, or story that you guys feel we should really cover as a main topic on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Michael T. And Michael T. writes, Hi, John and Rob. Back in Avengers Infinity War, we thought that that would be the last time we would see Loki. However, 
Loki has continued to appear in both the Loki series, Marvel's What If series, as well as rumored to be in the next Doctor Strange movie, which we don't know if that's true or not. With Tom's desire to continue his character, what kind of role will he have moving forward? Could it be possible to take a more heroic role in the movies? Let me know your thoughts. All right, thanks for sending that in, Michael. And yeah, look, Loki is kind of the poster child, Rob, for the reason I call Marvel the Marvel fake death cinematic universe. And and Loki is really the poster child of that. I, I have lost count. They even made Tom Hiddleston made a joke about it in the Loki series about been killed many times or something like that. They even made a joke out of it. They even killed him in the Loki series again and then brought him back. I mean, they've done it many, many times. And you're right. When we saw the beginning of Infinity War, it seemed like to us that that was finally... Not that I wanted it to be the end of Loki, but it seemed like, okay, that was the end of Loki, even having Thanos say, no resurrections this time. You know, as if saying to the audience, okay, now now Loki's really gone. Now he's gone. And of course he wasn't. And then he was back for the Loki series. And I enjoyed the Loki series. I didn't think it was great, but I enjoyed the Loki series, and I always love seeing Tom Hiddleston playing the God of Mischief. I love seeing him in this role. Now, shortly after the Loki series, I believe, wrapped, Tom Hiddleston was asked, like, would you play this role forever? And he said, yeah, I would play this role for the rest of my life. If you guys remember, he said the following. He said, yeah, absolutely. I'm so lucky that I've got to play Loki for this long. And, you know, I feel like he's such an interesting character who's been around in human consciousness for so long. And he's got so many different aspects, so many different complex characteristics that it feels like every time I play him, I find out something new or we get to evolve him or take him down an avenue that we haven't gone down before. So he was basically saying, you know, I'll, I'll play this role forever. I'll play, I'll play Loki forever. Sign me up. So the question now becomes, Rob... Now that we've had his run in the, in the movies, we've now seen Loki. He's obviously being a part of introducing Kang into the universe as well. What is his role going to be moving forward? What is he going to be significant? Are we going to see him pop up in the movies? Will we see him in Doctor Strange? We saw him evolve to really being more. He's always been something of an anti-hero or a misunderstood villain. But they've seemed to have brought him to a point where he's more heroic. I would personally, Rob love to see him and Chris Hemsworth on screen together again. I I love when I get to see the Odin sons fighting side by side on screen. I get a huge kick out of that. And I hope to see it again. So personally, I think we're going to see him take on more of a heroic role. And I think we're going to see him take on a bigger role in the MCU, especially Rob. Now, when you consider the fact that stalwarts like Robert Downey Jr. aren't, isn't there anymore. Chris Evans isn't there anymore. Scarlett Johansson may or may not be back, depending now that they've kissed and made up. But I think he's going to actually become more predominant in the MCU moving forward. Hell, maybe even being an Avenger. How's that for going far out? Anyway, Rob, we've seen all the Loki stuff. Our viewer asked, what's going to be his role moving forward, if any? How do you see Loki's role in the MCU moving forward? Well, I think Loki's had the curtain pulled back, and he's seen things, as Roy Batty said in Blade Runner, that you people wouldn't believe. So going to the end of time and meeting Kang and finding out all about the multiverse and the Time Variance Authority and all of that, makes him one of the more valuable people in all of creation in terms of knowing how the universe and, and it, it all works. It also makes him incredibly dangerous 
So mm, to me, yeah. Loki has been given added dimensions to his character that make him, in my mind, a fulcrum point of the entire MCU. Wherever Loki goes, knowledge, dangerous knowledge, goes with him. And knowledge he can exploit and use against people that have no clue as to what Loki now knows. So I prefer him as an anti-hero. I like the idea that he can be Machiavellian and now his machinations can can be grander than ever before. So I think that we'll be seeing a lot more of him in the MCU. And John, I'm there for it. Whether he fights alongside Thor or figures out a way to imprison Thor at the end of time while he rebuilds Asgard in his own image, I don't know what's going to happen. But dude, I'm stoked to see where it goes. Question is for you guys. What do you think is going to be the future of Loki in the MCU coming out of the local uh, Loki series? Do you think he's basically only going to be peppered in here and there? Do you think he's going to take on more of a dominant role? Do you think he's only going to be used in the series stuff? Or do you think we're going to see him pop up on the big screen again? However you guys feel, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Christian Hader, who writes, or Hatter writes, Good morning, John. Love or hate them, the Fast and Furious movies are some of the most successful ever, which makes you wonder why some people can't put their feelings aside and just continue good business. Wondering if you saw that interview with Dwayne Johnson basically explaining that he'll never work with Vin Diesel again. Seems ridiculous that we can't see Hobbs in one of the final Fast and Furious movies. What do you think? All right, Christian, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate that. And yeah, it is one of, if maybe not the, of the last few years, one of the biggest spats, production spats we've seen in a long time. Now, of course, yep. uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, also known as Franchise Viagra, he came into the Fast and Furious franchise. I believe it was Fast... Well, didn't he pop up at the end of Fast and Furious 4? I think he... Wasn't he in the post-credit? He might have been in the post-credit scene of Fast and Furious 4. I can't remember exactly. You mean Vin... Vin no. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah, he. I that I don't know. I thought he showed up in five first because there's there's a post credit scene. I think if if I remember correctly, and I might not be at the end of four. I think with Eva Mendez. I think, and I think it was Eva Mendez and Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I can't remember if that happened in four or not. But anyway, his real first big appearance uh, as as a as a significant character in the movie was in five. And of course, the box office, that that's when the box office for the Fast franchise just took off and exploded. And Rob, you call it the Citizen Kane of the Fast and Furious franchise. Yes, I do. <laughs> and, you know, and then we saw Vin and Dwayne The Rock going everywhere together. We saw them at WWE appearances and all this kind of stuff. But then we found out that not all was copacetic. And that there was tension and arguments and fights. And it ultimately culminated when Dwayne The Rock Johnson was being interviewed about one of the Fast and Furious movies. And he said, oh, yeah, our female cast is, is awesome. And this was the first time we got wind of there being a problem, Rob. But he said, yeah, but a number of our male cast members are a bunch of candy asses. And we thought, oh. And then a lot of people started thinking, oh, is this a work? Is this them like setting up fake Vin Diesel versus Dwayne The Rock Johnson stuff just to promote the movie and stuff like that. And turns out it wasn't. It was very serious. Rob, it got so serious 
that Dwayne Johnson said the only way he was going to be in Fast and Furious 8 is if he had no scenes with Vin Diesel. And I didn't even realize that till afterwards. I had to go back and say, oh, right. He's never in a scene with Vin Diesel. They don't actually work together in the movie. And then, of course, he spun off. He's doing his own Fast and the Furious universe movies with Hobbs and Shaw. I like Hobbs and Shaw, by the way. I thought that was pretty good. Well, then Dwayne got married again. Vin Diesel sent out a nice social media message. Dwayne Johnson reciprocated. A lot of people thought maybe they can patch things up here. Maybe we can see Dwayne Johnson back in the Fast and the Furious as we move forward. But apparently, we shouldn't hold our breath about that. Uh, Dwayne Johnson was recently asked about the whole situation, talking about when things happen and whatnot. And he basically said the following. He says it caused a firestorm when he called his some of his male co-parts, particularly Vin Diesel, a candy ass. Uh, yet, interestingly enough, it was as if every single crew member found their way to me and either quietly thanked me or sent me a note. But yeah, it wasn't my best day sharing that. I shouldn't have shared that. Because at the end of the day, that goes against my DNA. I don't share things like that. And I take care of that kind of bullshit away from the public. They don't need to know that. That's why I say it wasn't my best day. No, I meant what I said, for sure. I mean what I say when I say it, but to express it publicly was not the right thing to do. Now, Rob, in the same interview, he goes on to explain that him and Vin Diesel later had a meeting in his trailer. And he said... uh, Basically, we just came to an understanding that we are two very different people. We just came to an understanding that we are two very... Let me see if I can bring up the exact quote. Yeah, here it is. This is the exact quote he said. He said, well, there was a meeting. I wouldn't call it a peaceful meeting. I would call it a meeting of clarity. He and I had a good chat in my trailer, and it was out of that chat that it really became crystal clear that we are two separate ends of the spectrum and agreed to leave it there. So... It basically comes down to, Rob, it sounds to me like, yeah, this is done. Now, I, I don't normally like to talk about TMZ, ooh, celebrities fighting, but this has a direct impact on the movies we're seeing and what we will or will not see in these movies. And that's why I think this is an interesting topic to bring up. But it looks like it's pretty clear that he's not going to be in it. Now, Rob, the, the person writing in the question asked a fair question. This is supposed to be business, not personal. And Fast and the Furious is big business. Why can't these guys set aside their personal differences and do good business? And I understand that, but let me let me speak to that for a second. It, if you, Rob, would, would indulge me, let me speak to that on a personal note for a mm-hmm. second. I get where Dwayne is coming from. Because while I agree with him that he never should have made this fight public, he never should have done that. That was a bad move on his part. Going, yeah, some male counterparts are candy asses. There was no need for this to be a fight made in public. This should not have been aired out. This should have been something that was handled privately. And he himself acknowledges that now. Like, what do I always say, Rob? The only thing that ever happens when you get into a shit-slinging contest is everyone ends up smelling like shit. That's the only thing that ever happens. And he shouldn't have done that. And he knows that. And he says, he acknowledges and says, you know what? That wasn't my best day. I shouldn't have done that. But as far as it being a business, sometimes things are so personal that it's just not healthy to put yourself in a situation where you're going to be terminally unhappy and where it's just going to cause you massive stress to do it and whatever. And and I'll speak to this for a second. 
I remember when John Schnepp passed away and Collider had reached out to me and asked me if I would come and be on their John Schnepp tribute show. And I opted not to do it. Uh, I mean, John Schnepp was much more than just Collider. We could honor him anywhere. It didn't have to be on Collider. I didn't need to be on Collider to honor Schnepp, nor did Collider need me to be there in order to honor Schnepp. And, and, and for the record, they put on a, Collider put on a great uh, John Schnepp tribute show. They did. They, they put on a wonderful John Schnepp tribute show. Hats off to them. They really did. And since I was the guy who kind of recruited Schnepp, and I was the one who brought him in, and he was my co-host for a long time, and I created Heroes and, and put him in as the, the guy to be the host of Heroes and all that kind of stuff. I started getting a lot of emails and messages from people saying, you know, it's really weird. Why aren't you going to be at this? Why aren't you going to be at this? It's really weird. And so without airing any dirty laundry, I never have and I never will. You know, I did just have to explain to people that say, look, I understand why it looks odd that I'm not going to be over at Collider for this. And I'm not going to name names and I'm not going to give specifics, but you got to understand for me, that is an environment that I do not want to be in. And it's an environment that's not healthy for me. I said for my own health and for my own well-being and my own mental um protecting myself mentally and all that kind of stuff. It's just not a place I should be. And I need to make decisions for my own personal health. And I'm going to honor Schnepp my own way in my own place at my own time. And I did. And, uh, but I, I just can't go and be in that environment. It's just not something I can do. So I bring that up to say, I get it with Dwayne, the rock Johnson saying, look, if it's at a point where he was so frustrated and it was, it's just so stressful to even think about that environment that he's like, no, I can't be in those movies anymore. I get it. I do. So Rob, I, I think the person asking the question is it wrong. It's business. Can't you put your personal things aside to do business? I agree. Yes. But there are exceptions to that where if it's just going to cause you a lot of mental grief and a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety and a lot of frustration, then that's not the most important thing in life. Just avoid it and don't do it. So, so I get it. Rob, you hear about Dwayne Johnson kind of explaining the situation. It kind of sounds like, yeah, he's actually going to be done with Fast and Furious. What do you think? Do you think that, you know, they should be able to find a way to move past this and make big business together? Do you understand where Dwayne Johnson's coming from? How do you see this? Well, <laughs> still thinking about what you're saying about Collider. <laughs> um, the, the, um, uh, uh, I, look, I look at it this way. Dwayne Johnson is a machine. He is a finely tuned machine that throws all of his professionalism into everything he does on and off screen. And a lot of what he does is off screen to prepare for what he's doing on screen. And as somebody who I would imagine, I've never worked with him, but I've only heard stories that when he gets to set, he is the utmost paragon of professionalism. I mean, the man, he knew through working for Vince McMahon and all that, that he knows what to do here. And when he comes to work, there's an expectation I think he has that everyone else is going to work the same way that he does. Mm. Because for him, uh, you know, the same way he keeps his body the way he keeps it, I mean, his discipline is such that 
I'm sure other people in Hollywood can be much more undisciplined. And when you come to work with an expectation of that kind of discipline, it can be extremely irksome because what you're thinking about is that, wait a minute, we're here for a certain amount of time, a certain amount of days, and we're expected to deliver a product and other people might have been interfering in his ability to deliver what he is being paid to deliver. You know, John, when I've done something that you haven't been, um, you haven't liked, you have called me up and you said, listen, we need to talk about this. And you've expressed your opinion. And usually you're correct. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. I, I completely hear you. And it's always about the work. You know, it's always about the work. It's never personal. Um, a lot of people can't deal with that. And I think that, that Dwayne Johnson probably was like, look, there's a lot of Mickey Mouse shenanigans going on here that we shouldn't be doing. And he's thinking about his brand and he's thinking about what he's bringing to the role. And I think at some point he said, okay, well, we have a lot of different personalities here. And um, if, if it's okay with everybody else, I guess I have to make peace with it, but it's not the way I like to work. Mm. So I think that in his case, what he's thinking about is his brand that he cultivates on and off screen seven days a week. And why be in a position where the brand that he is building and he built it for far longer than he's been involved with the Fast and Furious franchise yeah. and will be building it far long or far after he's done. So I understand where he's coming from, you know, and I, I completely get it. And he's got plenty of other movies to make. And while it might be business, ultimately he has to decide, is it good business for him? Right. And I think that um, he probably knows himself better than anyone else. And if they want to make another Hobbs and Shaw movie, I'm sure he's going to be there for it. But we just probably won't see him in Fast and Furious 10 and 11. But you know what? Maybe we will. Who you knows? never know. Stranger things have happened. And, you know, I, I also like the fact that, said, look, we, we met. It wasn't a peaceful meeting. We just understood we're on different ends. Some people are just oil and water, Rob. Some people are just oil and water. And, you know, I am a big fan of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I'm also a big fan of Vin Diesel. Me too. And uh, it's just unfortunate their their personality types just won't seem to let them work together at this point. Anyway, question is for you guys. What do you think about this situation? Do you think this is something like, guys, there's so much money on the table. Dwayne and Vin put it together. Or do they say, look, they did give it a shot. They made a lot of money together. But if it's just going to be frustrating for the two of them, maybe they should just both move on. Do you think... Maybe some bridges will be crossed and we might see Dwayne Johnson in a fast 10 or fast 11. Whatever you guys are feeling, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move into main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Chess Diego, who writes, <clears throat> Greetings, John and Rob. I know you love Tess Lassen. I'm, I'm going to assume you meant Ted Lasso. <laughs> I know you love Ted Lasso on Apple TV. I love that show, like, so much. It's great because it's not just Ted Lasso. That show has some of the best characters I've ever seen in a comedy, and it worries me that I just read that if they do a season four of the show, which, let's be honest, is going to happen that they're going to replace all of the supporting characters and bring in all new ones. Why? What are they thinking, John? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Chess. And yeah, look, uh, 
no big secret. I talk about it all the time. I, like a lot of people, love Ted Lasso. I love this show. First episode was a little corny to me, but once my brain tuned into what they were going for, by the end of episode two, I was all in. And we devoured season one. Every week is about waiting for the next episode of Ted Lasso season two. They just had their finale of season two. And it's, of course, it just won a whole ton of Emmys. Uh, it like swept a whole bunch of the major categories, the Emmys for comedies. And now we're going into season three. And you're right, Chess. One of the big strengths of this show is not just that Jason Sudeikis is fantastic as Ted Lasso. You have one of the best supporting ensemble casts in a sitcom in a long time. Everything from Roy Kent to Coach Beard to the boss to Keeley. I mean, it's just, it's a wonderful assortment of characters. And they won a bunch of Emmys too, you know, at the Emmys this year. It is a wonderful collection of characters, which is one of the reasons why I love watching this show. It's absolutely great. However, the showrunner, I believe it's... uh, Oh, uh, Bill something. I'll get his last name here in a second. The showrunner was just interviewed and basically said, yeah, if they do season four, they're probably going to replace all the rest of the cast other than Ted Lasso. This is what comes to us from JoeBlow.com who writes, when we started, we plotted out everybody's beginning, middle and end of a three season arc. This story is going to be over next year, regardless, even if the show finds another story to tell and goes on. It was uh, Lawrence. That's That's the showrunner's name, Bill Lawrence. Lawrence also added that the future of the show also rests on its star, Jason Sudeikis, who won an Emmy for his portrayal of Ted Lawrence or for his portrayal of Ted. Lawrence pointed to Sudeikis's personal duties as a father since the actor is actually trying to parent from London. If Sudeikis is game, Lawrence would consider continuing Ted's story with a brand new supporting cast. Lawrence hits that Sudeikis' decision on this will come in a timely manner. All right. So that, again, comes to us from the folks at Joe Blow. So what it sounds like is that issue here is that, of course, Jason Sudeikis, uh, he just went through an unfortunate divorce, but he, they have children. He's trying to be a parent, but they shoot this show on location in London. They shoot this show over there. And I guess for Jason Sudeikis, that's becoming problematic. He has kids at home and he's off in London for good chunks of the year while they're shooting the show. I respect that. I respect that as a parent. But to say you need to replace all the cast, dude, just shoot the show in L.A., recreate the sets, shoot it in L.A., or... Say, you know, Ted went back, but bring the cast of characters with him somehow, some way. It's fiction. You can come up with something in a story to do that. Because, Rob, I don't know about you, but for me, especially with comedies more than anything else, I don't watch shows like Ted Lasso for the plot. I I don't watch these shows like this for the plot. I didn't watch... Shit's Creek, which is might be the greatest sitcom of all time now that I think of it. Anyway, I didn't watch Shit's Creek for the plot. I watch these shows, especially these comedies, and this is true even if you go back to shows like Seinfeld or The Office or Parks and Rec. I watch these shows because I just love hanging out with these characters. I just love being around Roy Kent. I just love being around Coach Beard. I love being around Coach. I love, you know, I just love 
being with these characters. And so it's fine if you want to say that our story arc for these characters is completed after season three. Okay, that's great, but this isn't fucking Game of Thrones. This isn't The Sopranos. This isn't Breaking Bad. We just love being around these characters. You can come up with something. So, Rob, I got to tell you, while I respect the artistic integrity of saying, hey, we had a we had a story arc plan and it's getting wrapped up in season three. And if we have to bring this sure. back to the States, all new characters. But you got to understand, one of the reasons I watch this show is for Keeley, is for Roy, is for Beard, is even for Nate, even though I want him to be murdered. You know, there's got to be a way to come up with this to make this right. I, I don't know, Rob, what do you think? Maybe, maybe I'm totally looking at this the wrong way. How do you see this? No, I mean, I look at it like you do. I mean, that's why people tune into comedies. It's, it's, you, you want to hang out with those characters. It's, they're not necessarily plot driven. I mean, they can be. Ted Lasso did have an overarching plot, but it was interesting. You like, like you said, you like those characters. That's why you hang out with them. You could, you could watch friends go to Central Perk and just drink coffee for half an hour and you were fine. You got to hang out with your friends that you liked. I mean, I think that's what that's what comedy is about. However, I would say this, you know, it's also good when creators know when it's they've 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 made the show they wanted to make and they're done. There's something to be said for that, too. And, and to leave it behind, like, I don't know, like Phoebe Waller Bridge and Fleabag. Right. And uh, they make the show, they do what they want, and then they move on to something else. I mean, British television television has known that for a long time. Again, listen, I, I, I get it. I, I get it. It's just that you could you could make an episode of Ted Lasso of literally Roy and Ted in a coffee shop for a half hour, and we would eat it up just because they write these characters so beautifully and so well. And I get it. Maybe you say Ted has to go back and coach goes back to coach American football. Maybe he takes over an NFL team or something like that. But just like he was a fish out of water going over to soccer, he brings Roy Kent with him says, because I think you've got the attitude of a warrior athlete. I, I don't know. I just think there's something they could come up with. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? They're saying that if they do Ted season four, which I believe they will, that they're probably going to replace the entire supporting cast. That scares me because I watch this show for the cast. To me, comedy is different from drama. However you guys think about this, maybe I'm being a whiny little entitled fan baby about it. That's possible. Maybe you agree with me. Whatever you guys are thinking, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Now, before we jump into uh, main topic number four here, Rob, you've got a commitment that you've got to run and be a part of right now. So thanks a lot for being here today. But in the meantime, where can people follow you and all your adventures online? Well, John, first, I want to thank you for bringing on a guest who addressed the upcoming IATSE strike. I He's great, isn't very, he? That was a very classy thing to do. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. And as always, I love being on the John Campia show. So thanks for watching, everyone. Hey, listen, I'm also I'm not only the main proponent for Zevia Cola. I'm also the main pro proponent for this little film called Tango Shalom. Where can people go see it? Where where, <laughs> where where fans in what part of the world can still go see that in theaters right well, now? Well, Tango Shalom, you can you can see in Boca Raton, Florida. You can see it in Palm Springs. Uh, it's opening a few other places. It opens all across Russia or the CIS, the Confederate of Independent States, on November 4th. And it hits VOD here in the States everywhere on October 29th. All right, Rob, thanks a lot for being here today, man. And we will talk to you again later. Have a good one. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Okay, guys, 
we still got some more topics to get to here. So let's get in to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Yuri S. And Yuri S. writes, Hey, John and Rob. So we've all been excited for the book of Boba Fett. Yes, we are all all excited for that, uh, for sure. But we haven't had a lot of clarity on Mandalorian Season 3 or when we could expect it. I just saw that Carl Weathers just confirmed that they finally started shooting the new season. What do you think of this? And where do you think the show will go now that it doesn't have Baby Yoda in it? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, of course, one of the big things that we all love right now is Mandalorian. And while everybody was very excited, I mean, I think we were all super stoked for the Book of Boba Fett announcement. Some people were a little bit worried, saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't that releasing when Mandalorian is supposed to be released? Are we still going to get a Mandalorian Season 3? And of course, we were going to get Mandalorian Season 3. That was absolutely coming. And then people say, oh, the star of the show is leaving. No, he was never leaving. That was never going to happen. He's still there. Um So when's it coming? What's it coming? Obviously, COVID threw a big wrench into things, and they have started shooting as long as IATSE doesn't go on strike on Monday. Because if they go on strike on Monday, that shuts down production. But for now, Mandalorian Season 3 is in production. It is up and running. Uh, This comes to us from the folks over at Coming Soon who write, Rocky vet Carl Weathers took to Twitter to confirm that production on the highly anticipated third season of Disney Plus's hit sci-fi prequel, The Mandalorian, has finally begun. Weathers will be reprising his role as Grief Karga and is also expected to direct another episode. He did a great job directing that one episode last season. Uh, Is also expected to direct another episode in the next season. The filming start was initially planned for April, but was delayed because the stages in Los Angeles were still being used for the production of the Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Of course, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series was supposed to start shooting earlier than that, but of course, all the delays. Uh, That bumped the production start of Mandalorian, which had only just wrapped in September. And again, that comes to us from the folks over at Coming Soon. So yes, there you have it. We've got Mandalorian Season 3 now in production. Now, you bring up a very, very good question. Where does this show go right now? Understanding that we no longer have Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda ain't a part of this. Grogu is no longer a part of the show. Here's my thoughts on this, and I'm sure a lot of you are going to disagree, and that's fine, but I said this during the finale of Mandalorian season two, and I still believe it. So I'm going to say it here again. I don't believe for a second that we're not going to see baby Yoda back. He's, he's going to be back. He'll be back. Listen, while this show is called the Mandalorian and the Mandalorian is great. The supporting characters are great. Yada, yada, yada. The reality is that this show became a pop culture phenomena, not at the beginning of episode one, but at the end of episode one. It was the end of episode one when Mando opens up that thing and looks down and sees what we all came to know as Baby Yoda. You see, because when the Mandalorian was coming out, 
A lot of us hardcore Star Wars fans were excited about it. There were some people on the fringes that were looking forward to it, and a lot of us were looking forward to it. But when that first episode ended, and we all, the world saw Baby Yoda for the first time, the internet exploded. Because now, it wasn't just hardcore Star Wars fans that were wanting or were interested in Mandalorian. Now, it was everyone. There, there are a, a number of women in my life, uh, friends and, and family and stuff like that, no interest in Mandalorian. But the moment that damn baby Yoda came on screen, that's all Anne could talk about. I mean, if I took you into Anne's office right now, which is up the hall from my office here, if I took you into Anne's office, I don't need, I can't even, I lost count of how many baby Yoda things there are in there. I had female friends of us who have never talked about Star Wars that were showing up in my house, Baby Yoda shirts, Baby Yoda sketches, and talking about when's the next episode of Mandalorian. That Baby Yoda shot changed Mandalorian from a show for Star Wars fans to a global freaking phenomena. And every week people tune, tuned in to see that freaking little green puppet, <laughs> to see that freaking little green puppet walk around and coo and ca. Oh my gosh, did you hear it coo? Ah! And that was all of us. That was me. Don't lie. That was you. I don't care if you're sitting there in your leather jacket and you got your Budweiser. When Baby Yoda came on screen, you turned into a freaking little, oh my God, he's so cute. He's so, that was all of you. Don't lie. Don't lie. That was all of you. I'm not going to lie. That was me too. That was me too. I see liars in the live chat right now. Russell Amador is a liar saying that wasn't me. Liar. You're lying. You're a liar. Stop lying, Russell. (laughs) Stop lying. That was everybody. Then all of a sudden, the whole world was talking about this show. I say all of that. To set the stage that the idea that they will then do Mandalorian Season 2 without the main thing that made this show a global phenomenon. They'll just take them out and not do I, I don't believe that. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that uh, Grogu is going to be there right at the beginning of episode one of season three. I'm not saying that. I'm not even saying he's going to be in all of season three. And for the record, just so you know, I don't know for a fact that he's going to be in it at all. It's not like John Favreau or Dave Filoni have given me a call and say, John, just, you know, uh, lots of baby Yoda in season three of Mandalorian. No, no, no one's told me that. I don't know for a fact that he's going to be there. This is just me as a fan speculating just like anybody else. But what I am saying is it would really not make much sense to take that element of the show that made it a global phenomenon and then just take it out and wipe it out completely. There are many, many easy, easy ways narratively to have Grogu come back into the story. Whether it's for a three-episode arc, for the whole season, one episode. I mean, I, I don't know. But I, I have a hard time believing right now. And I could be a 1,000% wrong. I could be a 1,000% wrong. But I just have a hard time believing that they're not going to do that. And I'm actually going to put... Um, I'm going to put this up as a poll for you guys in the live chat right now. 
Uh, I'm going to ask, will Baby Yoda appear in Mando Season 3? That's all I'm going to ask. I'm putting that in the live chat right now. If you guys are watching live, I've put up in the live chat. I, I just put up a, uh, uh, a, a a poll to ask you guys, will he appear in Season 3? So you just let me know. I'm just saying I have a very, very hard time imagining he won't be. Now, let's put Baby Yoda aside for a second. What direction does Mandalorian Season 3 go, uh, even if we're not taking Baby Yoda in consideration? Well, I think there's a few things that are obvious. Um, Obviously, by the time we get to the end of Season 3, yes, Luke showed up, Baby Yoda went away with him, but there were still some major things going on. The retaking of Mandalore is going to become a major, major thing, right? The ret- I, I've got to believe, I, I just can't believe that the retaking of Mandalore won't be at the center of that story, at the center of what's going on. I think that's going to be the main overriding because if the whole idea of Mandalorian season two was about getting baby Yoda to a Jedi, that was the underlying arc for the entire plot of season two. And every episode was about the next stage of that adventure of trying to get this baby to a Jedi. I think the next one is going to be, and again, I don't know this for a fact. This is me as a fan speculating just like everybody else. I think that the main underlying narrative here is going to be, the retaking of, of Mandalore. I, I think that's going to be it with some of the recurring characters, obviously not all of the returning characters, no Gina Carano this season. That's her own damn fault. But uh, I think that's going to be the underlying narrative of the whole thing. But I also believe that baby Yoda is going to be a part of it. And again, I could be absolutely wrong about this. Let's go over and take a look here. So far about 400 of you guys have answered the poll right now. And out of the roughly 400 of you guys who have answered the poll right now, 82% of you believe that baby Yoda will appear. 82% of you believe he will appear, that baby Yoda will appear. Now, whether that means one episode, three episodes, all the episodes, whatever, uh, 82% of you believe he will be there. 18% of you believe he will not be there. So I, it sounds like most of you guys agree with me that at some point he's got to be there, whether it's a big major thing or a small little thing. We'll see. Maybe Jordan Smith is saying in the live chat, he doesn't show up till the last episode. Maybe, but I believe he's, he's going to be there one way or the other. So I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Question is for you guys. What do you think about number one, that Mandalorian season three is finally up and running. It is shooting right now. But more importantly, now that it's up and running, let's ask the question. What do you think Mandalorian season three is going to be? Will baby Yoda show up? What will be the overarching theme? I think it's going to be the retaking of Mandalore. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. How are you guys feeling about this? Whatever it is, jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with all that down and out of the way, let's spend the rest of our time now going over and taking your live questions. A bunch of you guys have been firing them in, so let's get on over there and start taking them, shall we? And we're going to start taking your questions with Sam Sprill, who writes, Greetings from South Africa. Uh, First time tipping. Thanks so much, Sam. But I don't think that's true. I see your name pop up before. Anyway, I've been watching your show since December of 2018. Because of you, I went from watching one movie per year at the cinema to 10 in the first six months of 2019. That's awesome, man. Since then, I go to the cinema regularly. Thanks 
Uh, all thanks to you. Oh man, thank, that is like one of the nicest compliments I think you could I could possibly get. That is like saying that you go to the movies now because of me. I, I that is I okay. That's incredibly honoring. Thank you so much for saying that's extremely kind. Uh, that that's incredibly flattering, and I'm glad you got more into movies, Sam. Thanks so much. That is seriously the kindest thing you could have said. So thank you so much for that, man. All right, next up, we got an anonymous viewer who writes. With Alan Horn leaving and Kevin Feige not taking his place, do you think it's more probable with all that's going on that Kevin Feige will be following him out the door? Well, look, you know I have said for a while that I believe Kevin Feige is going to be moving on from Disney and Marvel. I don't think the Bob Chapek uh, reign is going to help that situation. I think that's going to further it out. I think the fact that now... Alan Horn is leaving. He loves working with Alan Horn. Kevin Feige loves Alan Horn. And I know maybe he's also really close with uh, Alan Bergman as well. I mean, the new kind of guy that Alan Horn mentored to take his place. Maybe he likes him just as much. I don't know. But I've been saying for a while that I do believe um, that that Feige is going to be leaving Disney uh, maybe not this year, maybe not in two years, but I think there, the clock is ticking on Kevin Feige's time at Disney. I think he's going to probably want to move on at some point, but that's just my take on it. It might be right. It might be wrong. We'll see. All right. Next up, Fanimator writes, top 10 movies of the year. Number one, Shang-Chi. Number two, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Number three, Free Guy. Number four, Mitchell's versus the Machines. That was such a pleasant surprise. That Mitchells versus the Machines was such a pleasant surprise of an animated movie. I, I was really charmed by it. Number five, A Quiet Place Part Two. Number six, The Suicide Squad. Number seven, No Time to Die. Number eight, Black Widow. Number nine, The Tomorrow War. I didn't mind The Tomorrow War. Number 10, Nobody. Loved Nobody. I would have to put Nobody a little bit higher on my list, but that's a good list of films there, Fanimator. Thanks for sharing it, dude. All right, next up, Mike Hamari writes, I was spoiled in Los Angeles with access to so many theaters showing independent films and smaller studio films. Who or what prevents theaters in smaller markets from showing limited screenings of smaller films midweek? Um, not really anything. But if you are, here's the thing, if you are a theater owner in a small market, what is going to bring more people in your doors? Now, I'm not saying this is the way it should be. I'm just playing devil's advocate here, okay? If you live in uh, Crunk, Idaho, by the way, I don't know that that's a real place. I just made it up, okay? So let's say you live in a town, Crunk, Idaho, population 22,000 or or whatever, and you've got like a little two-screen theater, whatever. What is more likely to bring in more butts in your seats? Is it going to be playing James Bond, No Time to Die, and Shang-Chi? Is that going to bring more people into your theater that week on a Wednesday night? Or is it the deflowering of Edna Postuski, a black and white noir film from French filmmaker Jean-Claude I'm Canadian and I can't even do a good French accent. Uh, <laughs> a story about the coming of age of a young heroin addict, <laughs> whatever. What's what's going to get more people to come to your theater? Is it the James Bond film? Or is it the 
black and white French art house film called The Deflowering of Edna Chauzy, directed by Javier Francis-Francois-Leblanc. I just offended every French person out there. I saw, I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. Cut me some slack. Tell my French Canadian friends, cut me some slack. Anyway, what movie's going to get more people out there? I mean, I, I get it. And I'm not saying, John, are you not supporting independence? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying if you own a movie theater, your livelihood depends on on getting more people into the theater. And even if it's a midweek Wednesday or Thursday, what has the better chance of getting more people into your theater to buy soda and popcorn and, and take see it's it's gonna be Shang-Chi and no time to die. So nothing is nothing is stopping them from doing it except their own business sense that really is like um that <laughs> Marek Wachowski is saying, Je m'appelle Claude, je m'appelle Jean, comment t'appelles tu? Ça va? Anyway. Um Eight years of French I took in school, ladies and gentlemen. That's the best I can do. Not a very good foreign language student. I'm not. Anyway, uh, there's that. Good question, though, man. Good question, Mike. Okay, next up. Okay, next up. Uh, Bill Clay writes, uh, I hope Will Poulter crosses the finish line this time as Adam Warlock after dropping out as Pennywise in It and then The Lord of the Rings show. I have always liked him all the way back to a great film called Son of Rambo. That's where really everybody got his name. Like Son of Rambo was a breakthrough uh, and he deserves a lot more roles and acclaim. You're right. He's great. He's absolutely great. And if you guys have not seen him, in that I believe it's a 2018, might have been 2017, film called Detroit. He should have been nominated for an Academy Award. And I'm not saying that as hyperbole. He should have been nominated for an Academy Award for that. His performance in that is absolutely incredible. And yes, let's hope that he doesn't develop this habit of joining a project then walking from it. Let's see how that turns out. All right. Uh, next up, Ismail Montoya writes, Hey, John. A question about uh, a question came up a few days ago of who could be the next superhero to lead the MCU. Now, Will Poulter is confirmed as Adam Warlock. Would you consider him as a potential? Nah, uh, I would consider it. Thanks and bring on the filthy. Not really for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't think as really good of an actor as Will Poulter is. I don't think he can be that next Robert Downey Jr. Or Chris Evans to be the face of the MCU. Also, really, when you know more about the Adam Warlock character, him being kind of the, the lead face of it, not really. He's always been kind of treated as a supporting character, an important, powerful supporting character in the comics, but he's always kind of filled that role. So both from the Adam Warlock character point of view and from the Will Poulter point of view, I don't see him being that next one. Although I am very much looking forward to seeing him play the role. All right, next up, um, an anonymous viewer writes, What's been a recent film or TV couple that you've enjoyed? I really love Keeley and Roy on screen together and Ted Lasso. Avenge me, Keeley. Yeah, listen, I, I freaking love the Roy Keeley relationship on Ted Lasso. I love that relationship. It's like, what would I do if suddenly you stepped onto a street and were hit by a bus? avenge me <laughs> that's one of the best lines i've heard on tv like what would i do if you stepped on the street and suddenly hit by a bus dramatic pause avenge me <laughs> it's so good you have to see it in context you have to see the line in context it's so good um what's another great couple i i don't know i'd have to think about that 
I, I don't really know. I, I honestly, I don't have one off the top of my head. I don't have one off the top of my head. I don't really normally look for great couples in uh, in movies or TV shows. I mean, obviously, I've always loved the Tony Pepper relationship. That one's always been great. But, I mean, that's an older one now. I So, I don't know. It's a great question, Adam. So, I don't know off the top of my head. But I do love the Roy and Keeley relationship, like, a lot. All right. Uh, next up. Alan writes, Hey, John. You talked about recently that Daniel Craig recently said that Bond should always be a man. I saw No Time to Die three times this past weekend, and I would disagree. I could see Lashana Lynch's character, uh, Madeline, or his daughter. Your thoughts on that? You're misunderstanding, Alan. You're misunderstanding. Nobody said that a woman couldn't be a 007. 007 is just an employee number. I've been, I've been trying to, like, ever since I saw people, like, crying themselves asleep, the woman is going to be 007. Oh, my fragile masculinity can't take it. 007 is an employee number. That's all it is. Nobody is saying that a woman can't be 007. Lashana Lynch's character in No Time to Die is 007, but she's not James Bond. She's not James Bond. James Bond. Listen, you know me. I am totally for gender swapping characters, race swapping characters. I'm all for that because at the end of the day, 95% of the characters that we have out there, what their gender is or what their ethnicity is, isn't a core essential important part of who and what that character is. It's not what makes that character what they are. There are some exceptions though. And to me, James Bond is one of those exceptions. When you know the DNA of the character of James Bond, that is quintessentially male. He is a quintessentially male character. If he were not male, it would fundamentally change the way of who and what James Bond is. Now, if James Bond were to have black skin, that doesn't change anything about him. If James Bond were suddenly an Asian a guy with Asian heritage. That doesn't really change anything about the character. But the gender of James Bond, because that character is so male, um, it, it is a part of the essence of what makes the character. So I think that's what producer Barbara Broccoli and what, um, you know, uh, Daniel Craig were implying. They weren't talking about somebody else can't be 007. Sure, you could do a movie later where, James Bond's daughter grows up and becomes 007. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. You could say Lashana Lynch takes back over the employee number of 007. Nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. You can totally do that. It might even be really cool. But they can't be James Bond because only James Bond is James Bond. Anyway, that's just my take on it. Other people can have different opinions, and I respect that. I might even change my mind in a few years. But for now, that's kind of my take on it. All right, next up. We got Dangerous D who writes, Hey, John. What I, your mind, try this again. Hi, John. What I, your mind, is the great monster in cinema, excluding Godzilla and King Kong? Are you saying this, John? What in your mind is the greatest monster 
guys, please proofread before you hit submit on these things. What in your mind is the greatest monster in cinema, excluding Godzilla and King Kong, the xenomorphs and aliens, the kaiju and Pacific Rim, the creatures in Cloverfield, or the dinosaurs in Jurassic World? Uh, what is your pick? Uh, you want to add another? Well, I would have to think about that. So let me just limit it to the ones you're you're mentioning there. Uh, definitely not the creature in Cloverfield, no. Uh, not the kaiju in Pacific Rim. They're great, whatever. I think it would have to either be the the xenomorphs in Aliens or, you know what, I'm going to go with the, if you're put, making the list, the dinosaurs in Jurassic, uh, Jurassic Park, in the world of Jurassic Park, I got to go with the dinosaurs. They're terrifying. They're great. They, they, they are so real to us. That T-Rex, the Velociraptors. Yeah, so I'll, out of those options, I will go with the dinosaurs. Thanks for that. All right, next up. Garden Variety Vagabond, still one of my favorite usernames on YouTube, uh, writes, Hey, John, Sam Fisher had mentioned how Mark Harmon was leaving NCIS. Like after 18 seasons, he's finally leaving. Uh, a neat aspect of this is that his character is establishing a relationship with the beautiful Pan Dauber, uh, his real life wife. It's nice seeing their chemistry in his last season. I'll be honest with you. I didn't even know she was on the show because I don't watch NCIS. I'm not crapping on it. I've just never seen it. So I, whatever. So for those of you who don't know, Pan Dauber is, uh, she was Mindy in Mork and Mindy. Uh, she was, uh, she was the one who starred with Robin Williams in Mork and Mindy. And you don't see a lot of her uh, out there, but yeah, she is Mark Harmon's real life wife. And I had no idea she started appearing on the show and she is, his love interest in the show. That's actually, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that, Garden. Thanks for sharing that, man. That's a nice little piece of trivia. All right, next up, we got Suthius who writes, I'm not sure if uh, Mrs. C, that would be Anne, has ever met or worked directly with Brian Goldner. She did. She knew Brian uh, during her time at Hasbro, but news hit that he just passed away. I've always been a fan of Hasbro and their products. And it's sad to see their CEO pass away at such a young age. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure many of you do, uh, my wife, Anne, uh, worked for a number of years at Hasbro and, um, she, she had met and, you know, talked with the, their CEO and the news just came out that their CEO had passed away. Now, Anne had told me, I wasn't aware of this. Anne had told me that he had been battling cancer for a number of years but a lot of them at Hasbro thought he might've been in remission, but apparently uh, he just passed away. And yeah, the dude was young. I think he was like 56. That dude was young. And apparently he became CEO. And like you want to question your own personal life decisions. That dude became CEO of Hasbro in his forties. I'm in my forties. I'm sitting in a converted garage talking on YouTube and he was CEO of Hasbro. Uh, so yeah, it was very sad news. And, you know, Anne knows a lot of people at Hasbro who knew him much better as well. And uh, our thoughts and uh, our thoughts and best wishes to everybody who worked with and knew, knew him. It was really sad to hear about that. Thanks for sharing that suit. It's a good topic to bring up, man. All right. Next up. Dangerous D writes, John, uh, who do you think is the best impersonator? Bill Hader, uh, does Schwarzenegger, Pacino, Jay Farrow, does Kevin Hart, Denzel, Frank uh, Caladino, does Madam Bush, Seth MacFarlane, Family Guy, or someone else uh, bring on the filthy impressions? Um, none of them. None of them. 
it was who guys in the live chat let me i don't i wish rob was here he probably knows the name of the guy there was an imperson a comedian impersonator in like the 60s 70s and 80s is it rich rich something and he was he even rich jordan carlson got it jordan carlson got it rich little I remember that because I remember watching the, the Muppet show when I was a kid and he was even on the Muppet show. And I remember a bunch of years ago, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole because um, I was looking up an impressions of something, whatever. Anyway, went down this big YouTube rabbit hole on Rich Little. That dude did the best because he could do impressions of anybody. He could do impressions of anyone. Like... Carson would name a guy. Johnny Carson would name a guy and he would just be able to do it. Like it was incredible. So uh, those guys all do good. Like I love Bill Hader too, but yeah, uh, Rich Little. Um, who is this? this? Uh, Enric is saying that Rich Little is still alive. Oh no, asking is Rich Little still alive? I didn't. Well, Dutch is saying Rich Little still performs in Vegas. I had no idea. I had no idea if he was still alive or still working, whatever, but apparently, yeah, um, he, he was like the best I've ever seen. Now, I've only ever saw him on YouTube, but uh, he was the best I've ever seen. All right, next up. Uh, Dangerous D also writes, Hey, John, have you heard this news? Stephen S. DeKnight has announced that he will no longer write for Marvel uh, until C.B. Sabolsky, editor-in-chief, steps down. Apparently, he pretended to be Asian to further his career in Marvel. I didn't know uh, being Asian could further your career, especially in Marvel. As an Asian man, I don't what I don't know what to think of this. I don't know whether to be flattered or appalled as someone who's married to a filipina do you agree or disagree with stephen denight's decision okay so i'll say this for those of you who don't know what's going on stephen s tonight uh who of course was the creator and showrunner of spartacus which was aaron cummings show he was also the showrunner for season one of daredevil did a magnificent job on that then i think he did the one um pacific rim movie if i'm not mistaken anyway so he's recently signed on to write a Wolverine comic for Marvel. Now, news came out that the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics, C.B., what's his name again? Sobolski? Sobolski, uh, C.B. Sobolski. He wrote, while being an assistant editor at Marvel, he was a writer on one of the comics under a pseudonym, and I cannot... Let me just see if I can look this up. Hold on a second. Um, give me one moment. Do, 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 do. Sorry for the awkward silence here. Um, he, Yeah, let me see. Let me bring this up here. Let me, let me bring this up for a second. So, basically, he wrote for a Marvel comic under the pseudonym Akira Yoshida. Akira Yoshida. He wrote under that pseudonym. And he wrote, now, I don't know a ton about the story. I, I will say this. And look, I, let me just admit this. I don't know a lot about this story. So I'll, I'll say this. If it's just that, okay, look, he's an editor at Marvel, so he wasn't supposed to also be writing 
on a comic in Marvel because I guess that's against the rules. So he took on a, a pen name and instead of a white Caucasian pen name, he used an Asian pen name instead so people wouldn't know who he is. In this case, Akira Yoshida. If that's all this is about, and I don't know that it is, I'm fully admitting my ignorance here. I don't know if this is what I'm just saying. If, and that's a big if, if this whole thing is just about that he that he wrote under a pseudonym and he happened to use an Asian name, I don't see what the big deal is. Now, if there's more to the story than that, then then I I, I could totally change my opinion. But if all this is is that. This guy wanted to hide his real identity uh, in writing this comic so that the fans wouldn't know it was actually one of the editors of Marvel writing it. And instead of just using, my name, yes, my name is Larry LeBlanc. Like, I, I don't know. Like, if, instead of saying that, he said, look, I really want to throw people off. So uh, I, uh, what's a Japanese name? Akira Yoshida. And he used that as a pseudonym. I I don't see what the big deal is. I, I don't see what the problem is. Well, so what? Is it racist to just use a different name when you're coming? I don't know. Now, again, maybe there's way more to it than that. And I really like S Stephen tonight. I really like him a lot. I've met him. I love his, his, uh, his work. I love Stephen tonight. I'm just saying is I don't know the whole situation, but if the situation, and again, it's a huge if, if the situation is just that he picked that name as his pen name, I don't see why this is a big deal. But again, I'll say it for a third time, if there's more to it than that, then then maybe there's more to it than that. Uh, by the way, I just want to say Eerie, Eerie let me try this again, Eergeo Arrigo uh, sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I'm sure a few have come through today that I've missed, and I apologize if I've missed anybody from that. Um, okay, let's move on. Next up, we've got uh, Dangerous D, although we already did that part. Okay, Dangerous D writes, hey, John. It's that time of year CW is doing a crossover with their DC shows, uh, their first look photo in Entertainment Weekly, and it looks so low budget, despro, uh, the villain doesn't even look like the image in the comic books. Should they stop crossovers? I Listen, honestly, I'm not following the CW-verse anymore. I'm not following the Arrowverse anymore. I haven't for a little bit. I, I even stopped watching Flash. And I, I kept watching Flash for a while, but I, I jumped off of Flash. So... I, I haven't seen the image. I can't comment on it. But hey, listen, if people are still watching those shows, go ahead and do the crossover. I mean, I always liked their crossovers back to when I used to watch the Arrowverse, except for their Infinite uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths one. That Crisis one, I thought that was terrible. But I liked all the other ones. So if people are still watching the show, keep doing them. All right, next up. A Dangerous again writes in, Hey, John, do you remember Johnny Dangerously? Oh, I do. I do remember Johnny Dangerously very well. Um, this is an underrated parody movie because that was Michael Keaton and Joe Piscopo uh, was in that. And I, I do remember that. I was, I was really young, but I, I remember that movie. Uh, this is an underrated parody movie. I watched it again, and it's uh, Fargan Funny to Me. Did you ever watch this Fargan movie? Uh, which Ice Hole, I remember the Ice Hole character was your favorite. Did you think this was a top five Amy Heckerling movie. Well, honestly, I can't, I can't name five 
Amy Heckerling movies. I know there was, I mean, her best movie was Fast Time at Ridgemount High. I mean, that, that was her best movie. I believe she did Clueless. I think she did Clueless. Um, I think she did the John Travolta Look Who's Talking, I think. But that's all the ones I can remember. And Johnny Dangerously. I, so I can't even remember five of them. So I'll have to, by default, say, yes, it's a top five film of hers. But that's the best I can do. But I remember liking that movie very much. All right. Uh, Mr. Graham 91 writes, Hello, John and Co. Have you heard Dwayne The Rock Johnson's rap about or the rap debut in Tech Nine's new song, Face Off? Got to be honest, he didn't do too bad, if I must say. Thoroughly surprised. I have uh, no idea about that. No idea. Never heard of it. Had no idea that existed. But now you put it on my radar, Mr. Graham. I may have to go and check that out. Thank you for that. All right. My Comic Planet writes, hey, one of three. Hey, John. Do you know who Jamie Costa is? I know Jamie. (laughs) Yes. So, yes, I do know who Jamie Costa is because I know Jamie. I mean, not super well, but but I know Jamie. Anyway, uh, he's an actor slash comedian and best known for his uncanny impersonations of Robin Williams. Uh, He does a lot of impressions, actually, very, very well. He just did a screen test yesterday, and it's already gone viral. Uh, Number 20 trending on YouTube. You have to watch it. Now, if I'm not mistaken, it's... It's not, um, he didn't do a screen test. I believe that is something that he specifically, I I could be wrong about this, but that thing that's on there is something he himself made. He made that. He put that together. It's not really a screen test. A screen test is when, you know, directors or producers of a movie bring you in to audition you and do a screen test with that. That's something different. He made this himself. I will say this. Jamie is ridiculously talented. I remember we had him in our offices a few times and he helped participate in a number of the things that we did uh, back in the day. And I I certainly don't know him well, but I'll tell you, whenever he was in the office and I ever had a chance to speak with him and stuff like that, he was, you know, there are certain people that are just a bright light in the room. Like everybody's kind of grabbed because they just bring such a positive, fun energy. Um, Jamie always brought a really fun, positive energy entertaining energy when whenever he was in our offices and stuff like that he he's just a thoroughly entertaining guy he's uh seems like a really really nice guy so yes uh and i thought that little video he put up of of him you know uh, doing a robin williams thing i thought it was fantastic i thought it was really really good i'm not surprised that it's trending uh anyway that was one of three two three it's absolutely incredible in the screen test again it's not a screen test he dressed up like robin from mork and mindy show not only does uh, does he have his mannerisms down but his voice is scary good i heard he's doing this to try to get a robin williams film greenlit uh, i can't think of anyone else better suited to play williams if you've seen it or what are your thoughts uh, if not, just search YouTube for Robin Williams test footage scene. And yeah, guys, you should go and watch it because it's really, really, really impressive well, what uh, Jamie was able to do there. All right. Charles Esther writes, hey, John, I was wondering, do I need to watch Chloe Zhao's Nomadland to understand how she directs? I ask because she's directing Eternals and I've never heard of her before. Yeah, that's um, that's. First of all, you should see Nomadland just because it's utterly fantastic. It's an utterly fantastic movie. It won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Well-deserved. 
She, of course, won Best Director at the Academy Awards for that. Well-deserved. It's incredible. But do you need to see a director's previous work in order to watch their new movie coming out? No, you don't need to. Now, as a fellow film fan, I would say you need to watch Nomadland because you owe it to yourself if you're a movie fan. The movie's fantastic. It's incredible. So do. But do you need to watch it in order to watch the next movie she's directing? No, you're good on that. You're good on that front, my friend. You're good on that front. All right, next up. Uh, Mr. Graham 91 writes, how proud are you of Anne? Well, I mean, I could sit here all day and talk about that. I could I could sit here all day and talk about that. Allow me to wax poetic for a moment. You know, when I first moved to L.A., I was actually already in a relationship when I moved to L.A. And me and the girl I was seeing, uh, we tried to make the long distance thing work and it didn't work. And, you know, that fell apart pretty quick. But. You know, I, I started dating a lot. I dated around a lot. You know, I was this Canadian kid. I'm in L.A. now. I wanted to date all these Los Angeles actresses and stuff like that. I thought it would be fun. And, 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 and I did. I dated around a lot and things like that. But I never found myself being really interested in anybody until I met Anne. Because you got to understand to me, the thing that gets my engine revving and gets me excited was a woman with ambition, intelligence, and a plan. And I remember when I met Anne, besides the fact that she was stupid beautiful, I'm not going to lie, obviously that's the first thing I noticed, like, that girl is stupid beautiful. Um, so aside from that, the more I got to know Anne, and you re- she was already, she already had two degrees. Like when I, no, 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 I take that back. She had already had, her, she just got her third degree. When I met her, so super intelligent. She was already working for a government thing when I met her. And I remember when I would talk to her about, you know, herself, her plans for herself, whatever. She had all these career ambitions and all these plans. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And it's just like, this may sound weird and this is true anywhere, but especially in Los Angeles. I get turned on by somebody, particularly like a woman who's got her shit together. Because most of the girls I dated when I came out to L.A. were just like, well, you know, I'm working here and I'll see where what happened. Maybe next month I'll do this. It's like, you know, but that was the limit of their plan. Whereas when I met Anne, it's like this woman's got her shit together. She's ambitious. She knows if she wants to rule the world, she will rule the world. Hyper intelligent. Um, all the gifts. And she's hot. You know, I'm going to throw that part in there too, but, but no, but that's the part that excited me because in Los Angeles, there's hot girls everywhere. I used to joke that you could walk, I could walk out on the sidewalk, right? And I could throw a quarter and that quarter is going to hit 15 hot people, men or women, before it hits the ground. Los Angeles is packed with nothing but hot people, right? Until I got here. So until I got here, Los Angeles is filled with nothing but hot people, but so, yeah, there's lots of really, really hot, attractive girls, even some actresses I dated when I got here. But it's when I met Anne that that's what excited me. She excited me. She excited me because she was so intelligent. She excited me because she was so ambitious. 
She excited me because she wasn't somebody who talked about what they wanted to do. They knew what they wanted to do, and they were already putting their plan in action of how to get there. Everybody talks about what they want. Everybody talks about what they want to do. It is the 1% that actually have a plan for doing it and have already put that plan in motion. And Anne was one of those people. And so whether she was the political rep for a congresswoman, because that was one of Ann's jobs, she was the political field rep for a congresswoman here in California, whether she was working to implement changes in healthcare, which she did, she worked for a major healthcare industry for a while, whether she was helping bring the biggest toy brands in the world to the public, which is what she did when she was at Hasbro, or whether what she's doing now at Apple or getting her fourth degree, or teaching at university now, or being our dungeon master in our Dungeons and Dragons games, or even just the way she is with our dogs. Um, I could sit here for hours and talk about my wife. My wife's the best. Every husband says that. Every husband should say that. But my wife is the best. Um, she is... Uh, She's brilliant, she's driven, she's goal-orientated, she's hilarious, she's nerdy as hell, and, uh, and she's the luckiest woman in the world because she's got me, which is, of course, the best, biggest thing in her life. So, yeah, she's, uh, she's the best. All right, uh, next up. Let's keep going. Thanks for that question. Thank you for indulging me, guys, as I, you know, I'll, I'll take the opportunity to talk about my wife a little bit. Um, next up, uh, Avenge Me Keely. <laughs> Avenge Me, right? Rewatched old AMC clips and came across you and Amy Rowe, oh, Amy Rose Eisenbach, who's a filmmaker herself, uh, talking about a Tommy Lee Jones interview that was so bad you decided never to release it. Could you elaborate on that? I know he is notorious for being a horrible interviewer. No, he's not an interviewer. He's an interview. He's a horrible interview. Yeah, listen. So, I, when I first started doing AMC and stuff like that, I would go and cover all the press junkets myself because I wanted to meet all the celebs. I eventually got very bored of it and I started sending other people to do it. There was this one movie that Tommy Lee Jones was in and we had heard, I, I think I told this story before, but we had heard that Tommy Lee Jones was a tough interview. He's not, he doesn't really like doing press. One of the greatest talents ever in Hollywood, but I heard he really doesn't like doing press. Um, so I, I believe it was Amy Rose that went to do the interview. I think it was Amy Rose that went to do the interview. Um, and she brought, she came back, brought the footage. And I was like, so how was the Tommy Lee Jones interview? She goes, you just got to watch it yourself. We're like, okay. So I, again, I think it was Amy Rose. Amy Rose is sitting there and she asks this excellent question. I can't remember what the question was, but I just remember that's an excellent question. So she came up with this great question pertaining to the character in the movie. It was a very insightful question. She, so, you know, Mr. Jones, blah, 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 set up this great question. Camera cut to Tommy Lee Jones. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, so then Amy Rose, like a champ, 
she starts going into her second question. Again, excellent question, well thought out question, setting up Tommy Lee Jones to really sell the movie. And she asks this question, blah, blah. Camera cuts to Tommy Lee Jones. No. Okay, and that was the interview. She had like eight questions set up, but after about four, she just kind of gave up. She said, okay, well, thank you so much for your time, Mr. Tommy Lee Jones, and uh, good luck on the movie and blah. But it was just, it's like, yeah, we can't use this. Here we are with an exclusive interview with Tommy Lee Jones, one of the great actors of all time. And we couldn't use it. Now, listen, I ain't saying uh, Tommy Lee Jones isn't a great guy. He just clearly doesn't like doing interviews. That's that's all. He just clearly doesn't like or isn't comfortable doing interviews. That's not to say he's not a great guy. That's not to say he's a bad person. None of that at all. It's just that it's very difficult to interview. Uh, and I felt so bad uh, for Amy Rose. So bad for Amy Rose uh, watching that. But anyway, yeah, that's the story on that. Okay, next up. Uh, we've got, uh, oh, we've only got a couple of minutes left here. So next up, we've got an anonymous viewer who writes favorite campiest show moment was about, uh, three or four years ago when someone donated 400 and you thanked them for their support. And then a few minutes later you looked, oh yeah, I remember this. You looked at the chat and realized the person donated 300 or 400 pesos. LOL. Yeah. So I remember this came up, it still happens once in a while. So when, YouTube really first introduced Super Chats, right? Um, I remember we were doing it and, you know, people would send in $5 or whatever. And that was amazing, right? So somebody writes in like 400 and that's what I see. It's like, oh my, what? 400 and blah, blah, blah. But then you realize it showed it in the currency that they contributed in. And in that case, it was pesos. It's happened a number of times too. Like people will see that, Somebody sends in a super chat of like 2,000, but then you realize that's like 2,000 Russian rubles or, or something along those lines, right? So, yes, I remember at first when that all started happening, it kind of, uh, it was, it was, you had to adjust your head to it a little bit. I remember that. All right, next up, uh, Ryan Loner writes, I just revisited my all-time favorite comedy, which I'm amazed you don't seem to hear anything about these days. Ruth, ruthless people. Uh, it's up there with blazing saddles and noises off for constant gut-busting laughs and deserves far more attention. Yeah, ruthless people. Now, it's it's been a beat since I've seen that, but that was Danny DeVito, uh, Bette Midler, and um, was Judge Reinhold that? Guys in the live chat, was Judge, Judge Reinhold in that? It might have been Judge Reinhold. It might not have been. Any, anyway, um, so it's basically about there's this real asshole of a guy. So these people kidnap his wife, but turns out he didn't. He was actually happy his wife got kidnapped. Anyway, it's been a beat since I've seen it. All right. It, it's, it's been a while since I've seen it. But I do remember really liking the movies. It's, it's nowhere near on my uh, top 10 list or anything like that. But I do remember really enjoying that movie. And you were right. And by the way, yeah, Scotty, uh, Music Vixen are all saying, yes, it was Judge Reinhold. Okay, so there's that. Um, it's been a while since, but I do remember liking a lot. Good on you, Ryan, for bringing that one up. You don't hear that one mentioned very often. All right, uh, next up. And this will be our last question today, guys. This one comes to us from The Sock Who Writes. 
While I should hope against it because it usually means something bad for us, whether directly or indirectly, I'm salivating for another John Tampia rant. Come on, Hollywood, stir the damn pot already. Yeah, I listen, I'll admit, I am trying to rant less. But, I mean, I just can't help it. When something happens in Hollywood that is so remarkably dumb, I can't help but get a little passionate about it. Now, I haven't ranted in a while. I haven't had a a good, solid John Campier rant in a bit. But, uh, but yeah, so, yeah, you shouldn't hope for it. Neither should I, for that matter. All right, guys, listen. There are still more questions to come from, uh, that was the sock, from Alex Von Gollum, Dr. Nova, Dangerous D, and more. Do not worry, guys. I'm going to have a companion video go up a little bit later this evening. We'll get all caught up on the rest of the questions that are there. But for now, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campion Show, thank you so much for being here, guys, and making this show part of your day. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here. Big special thank you to my friend Spencer Brennan, uh, a, a uh, production designer, a member of the IATSE, for coming on the show and giving us a little bit more perspective about the upcoming, hopefully won't happen, but maybe the upcoming strike that's coming and what's going on there. So special thanks to my friend Spencer for bringing that uh, point of view to us. And a big thank you to all you guys who sent in the uh, Super Chat badges and live chat, and, of course, sent in the tip questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and all of us involved with the John Campia Show, thank you guys very much for your support. Okay, guys, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. Don't forget to join us again tomorrow, guys. That'll do it for me. My name's John Campia. Until next time, my friends, bye-bye.